Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on September the 14th of 2018. I'm Nick, here alongside Chris, and uh, it's not the 14th, it's the 13th. I don't know dates. How are you doing, man? That would have been, so like when the aliens came to dissect our podcast and the cultural significance it had, that's where they would have sat there like, is this humor? Is this a subtle joke that he did not realize? Like, or is he just a fucking idiot? <laughs> <laughs> like, they would, like there would have been theses, like alien professors in their squid arms and their robot chassis would be like, analyze this. What say you? <laughs> Tis a joke or a jape? <laughs> What's so, the difference? And someone's like, those are the same thing, sir. And he's like, eviscerate! <laughs> His- Our society has no humor! <laughs> All funny has been removed from the internet. Only uh, facts remain now. And porn, of course. <laughs> I mean, why fix to- what's... No fix what's not broken. You have to understand that when uh, you're nocturnal, uh, you go to sleep... Uh, one day, and then you wake up and it's still the same day <laughs> all of the time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, shut up. <laughs> uh, I have been having a weird week, Chris, but it's, uh, it's, it's been getting better. Honestly, like we, when we did the, uh, the commentary of Iron Fist last night, that's when it really started to turn a corner. So I'm doing a lot yeah, better. Yeah, that's good to well, hear. Yeah. So, there you go, guys. Not, not arguing with Yu-Gi-Oh fans on Twitter anymore. <sighs> I just made one comment. I just I subtweeted as like I have no idea why someone would make an 11 minute video in 2018 discussing why Pot of Greed is banned. It's so stupid. And people were like, "Well, if you would actually watch the video, you would know that." <laughs> Look, I don't care if you do a video about Pot of Greed, okay? It just seems to me that as someone... Like, I've been part of the Yu-Gi-Oh! fandom for 15 years and kind of fallen out of actually playing the game in about half of that. Uh, so, for knowing how broken that card was even back before the game was insanely fast, it seems like you should be able to explain that in less than 12 minutes. It's one of those things, like... Pot of Greed is a card that exists solely because it was manufactured by a game that needed it for dramatic moments. One yeah. character has nothing in their hand, but they need several cards to do their cool win combo. It's like, oh, well, I'll draw a Pot of Greed for that. But when you look at it on the surface, you're like, wait, a card that gives you two cards for no other resource whatsoever? That's stupid. Who would design something like that? And it feels like that should be the reason. I like that there's like the innate humor of like it took someone 11 minutes to explain that, but... I don't know how it is that you got that shit like immediately too. Cause I've ever seen the tweet. Within it was like, like, within like 10 minutes or something like it, that. I was like, Oh, Nick must have posted this yesterday. It was like six minutes ago. I was like, Jesus. And I'm like, how do I post dumb shit all day? I never get somebody like what audience do you exclusively attract? That's just like, no, 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 sir. Now, before I get even more more comments, because we've put this up on YouTube now, I do want to say is like I did watch the majority of that video, and also I I watched the entirety of one of that guy's other videos. I don't like the guy's style, but I'm not here to like you know talk shit on him. And I do see that I did see that it was like okay, it was more than just like well, if we break down and analyze how this card, what is he? You got draw two cards for one. What could be so broken? About? No, it's there's a lot more to it than that. And I think that the guy just has a long-winded style from the bit of his stuff that I've seen. 
But I also just get kind of a vibe off of it, which is that, oh, this guy has like three ads per video that he puts up. It sort of seems like he tries to hold himself to getting over that 10 minute mm-hmm. limit so that he can maximize that. Whatever. You want to make content discussing Yu-Gi-Oh cards and have conversations that are sometimes a little bit less interesting to someone like me than others, whatever. There are probably literally trillions of videos on YouTube at this point. I'm not going to I'm not really that mad about it. Uh, I was a little bit angry that someone called me out on it, but I'm fine now. So anyway, now that we have just uh, explained why Nick is mad that a guy took 11 minutes to talk about Pot of Greed, let's take 20 minutes on each of the manga series that we have. (laughs) Something that took three seconds to read sometimes. Oh, wait, Bleach isn't in the magazine anymore. I guess it usually took like a minute and a half. I have no idea how the hell teching lasted as long as he did this by saying God God bless him, man. It's 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 baffling when you look back at it. At least now he's got like freaking thick ass one piece chapters to go through. Anyway, we do have some series that are shorter this week than others. Honestly, like I think we're going to spend more time discussing the greater context of what's going on in the world of the promised Neverland than we are talking about the actual chapter. But uh, before we get into that, that's more towards the middle of the show. Let's uh, begin the recap portion of the manga recap. But talk about My Hero Academia, Chris. Okay. Chris. I When you started that for a moment, my brain turned off. I thought I was listening to a podcast. And it's like, oh, this must be where the ad drop comes in. And then I realized I was on the show and I was like, we don't have ads. We don't have ad breaks. <laughs> and I was like, does Nick know something I'm not? You're just like, yeah, Chris, come on. BlueApron.com slash weekly manga recap. Get all your meals delivered to your house. What are you, stupid? What are some of the weirder advertisements? Like the... So the the one podcast to listen to, I've, I've mentioned it before. It's it's considered like one of the most offensive. It, like they brand themselves as one of the most offensive podcasts out there. So they, like they're it's called Legion of Skanks. So they can't get normal advertisements on their show. So their sure. advertisements are cannabis, no, no. Uh, okay. squatty potty, uh, bidets, and boner pills. <laughs> oh, and, and and online gambling. <laughs> Two of those are things that you could probably advertise on clean shows, though. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, now that we've gone on to, down that rabbit hole, let's just kind of try to climb back out. It's My Hero Academia. Oh, if you want non-that show examples of that, my favorite was always Legal Zoom, and I was like, it's so weird to advertise legal services to a podcast audience. Like, who's looking for this? All right, so it's uh, chapter number 197 of My Hero Academia, and it's... God, this is so lame. (sighs) Quadic Quirkstravaganza. I didn't pay attention to that title. That's a dumb name. (laughs) It's a... I think that it was a dumb name in Japanese, and there was... It was a bad pun, so they just made a really bad pun. So anyway... Um, Class 1A, uh, Suyu has uh, come up with a strategy that involves her molting some weird slimy stuff off of her body, which has caused Class 1B to think that there are, for some reason, three Asuis heading towards them uh, using, uh, what was it, Shishida, I think was his name, his uh, super smell. But in reality, 
Uh, it's just the three remaining members of Class 1A's team. They just have, like, pheromones on him. Uh, a, a, a fluid that uh, is causing the, her to exude them to exude her scent. Um, yes, and and there is actually a very long ass callback uh, because Deku and Mineta have a conversation because uh, like, they realize what's going on. Because way back during that exam, where the uh, villain society first made them their appearance, uh, they were isolated with her and she explained all of her powers and stuff. They're like, Oh, okay. So she must've managed to master that, uh, poisonous stingy fluid thing that she can do, uh, for a different purpose. Uh, and so that's, what's going on. It looks like she did a cocky blinchin thing, but, uh, she actually just used the other two as decoys basically. Hmm. Also, as Suyu is hopping along, uh, her hops make the sound effect froppy. Like her name. Okay. So that's what's going on now. Uh, Vine. I forget where it is. Shiozaki. That was her name. I'm I'm getting a little too good at some of these names, Chris. There's yeah. there's so many you're, characters. You're, you're gonna reach that one piece point for me where I'm just like, oh god, why do I know these names? <laughs> <laughs> I can't do math, but I know these names. Shiozaki, uh, who introduces that her superhero name is just Vine, which is just very lazy, honestly. <laughs> it's weird, because she's surrounded by Dragon Shroud and Galva- Gevadon or whatever. Gevadon. And you're like, Vine. Vine. <laughs> like, that's where, like, because generally speaking, when it comes to My Hero Academia names, I'm like, okay, a lot of these are, like, creative enough. But, like, sometimes, you know, when, like, a character writes, like, an OC into a Batman, like, universe, something like that, to, like, my villain. And they're like, oh, I don't want to be Poison Ivy, but I also want to control plants. So, like, well, what's a name I could use? Vine! <laughs> like, on those things, just like, okay. <laughs> and then she ends up marrying Batman. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they're the true romance, yeah. Uh, anyhow. Yeah, it is kind of weird, especially because she has this whole, like, theme down with, uh you know, penance and uh, the Christ imagery and everything. And she's like, I am Vine. That's my name. Uh, but yeah, we get to the remaining Class 1B members, their uh, superhero names, which come up sort of naturally because Shiozaki is like, I swear on my superhero name, Vine, that I shall judge them. Now, they... Tell me their positions, oh apocalypse beast! And Shishida's like, "I'm, that's not my superhero name. It's 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 Givalden. Anyway, they're over there. <laughs> and then like they were just like, well, we don't know how he'll announce it, so fuck it. He doesn't say it, but just know his name's Dragon Shroud, <laughs> which is a pretty awesome name, I think. So, um, and uh, they're like, oh hey, you've got like Kaminari's." thingy stuck on your butt uh and the person that uh shiozaki finds is kaminari and she pulls him out of all of the cover uh they're like oh shit because kaminari is like i'm gonna zap you all uh but shiozaki just does what she did during the school festival and just a giant wall of vines everywhere uh surrounds him in a like a cocoon of them someone's like a dome around herself uh but Kaminari's like, that's okay. I've still got my my 
sniping thing that I can do. But at that point, uh, Dragon Trout, or Hiryu, uh, reveals his quirk, which is scales. Basically, he can just grow tough scales in all sorts of different ways, including using them as projectiles, which he can launch out of his body. Uh, and he uses that to knock the target off of Shishida's body. Uh, so now Kaminari can't use his uh, sniping thing. And if he tries to just blast everywhere, then he'll just get stuck. But fine. So he's been pretty well dealt with. Uh, and uh, then Shizaki uh, gets told, uh, you know, there's more coming. So you'll get the vines up. Uh, and uh, she's like, it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, tell me their positions. Shishida. And then all of a sudden she freezes. And here he realizes that wasn't me talking who told you to get the vines up. And uh, oh, so Shinso used his vocoder mask thingy uh, in order to trick them again while the they were distracted. The persona cords. Vocoder thingy. Uh, so <laughs> Bane mask. Uh, so we established that this whole thing was actually just a diversion. Uh, Kaminari never actually intended to shock everyone. He just knew that he would be their primary concern. Uh, so if he would cause a bunch of chaos and allow Shinso to get the chance to use his ability to brainwash one of them. And Shinso acknowledges like, eh, I, it's not like I was, you know, un- underestimating you, but that was a good plan. And it shows that you guys have a lot more experience than me. Uh, Shishi at this point is completely freaked out. Uh, so here he is trying to get them back together and on the same page. And he's shouting out uh, commands and, trying to get information and she just like pointing whenever he asks uh, him for information. He's so afraid to respond to him vo- vo- verbally because that way Shinsu will get his brainwashing in on him. So here he's like, come on, if we can see each other's lips moving, then whatever. And he tries to uh, knock Shiozaki out of the trance, but Suyu comes in with her long ass tongue, uh, takes her out of the way. And so basically Shiozaki is down and can't be reached by the others. Uh, here you tries to uh, warn Shishida that Suyu is in hiding because she's hopping around between cover and he, he can't keep his eyes on her. He tries to ask for where she is because Shishida can still smell her, but he's not replying. So he's like, oh, come on. And then Suyu just kicks him in the fucking face as a. That that would hurt the amount of distance that she fucking travels in order to do this dropkick. <laughs> the whole lost you to have to build up. So at this point, it's almost basically just down to Shishida and just him. Uh, he goes storming into uh, the cover where Shinso is hiding uh, because he can just still smell him even if he is hiding. Shinso, while he's barging through the pipes and stuff that he's hiding in, he uses Aizawa's... Uh, binding cloth in order to tug a big pipe down onto his head. Uh, but she is like, that's still not enough to stop me. Uh, all of a sudden, however, uh, here you is flying through the air and he's like, Oh, dark apocalypse beast. And he's like, ah, oh, you can't fool me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna respond to you because you're talking and wait a minute. He didn't call me a beast before. And he just gets, it looks like, this would hurt 
Okay, having someone else's skull driven into your ear, it would really hurt. Wasn't this, uh, didn't the authors of Pain have this as a finisher for a while and they had to, like, figure out how to use it better because they kept just, like, slamming dudes' heads to against each other instead? Yeah, basically every time they use it now, they're going to just have to be like, eh, don't, put your fucking head forward so you don't kill each other. Yeah, And now, uh... Yeah, it's like the top of Hiryu's skull is sent into Shishida's ear. That would really hurt both of them. Uh, but it knocks them both out. So there you go. Um, and that's it. At that point, you know, the, the last two two of the three remaining Class 1B members are knocked out. The last one is brainwashed. And so they just kind of drag all of them into the, into the cage. And uh, Class 1A wins with Shinso's help. And we get this kind of like, yeah, they did it with his presence that let them control the field. But Shinso is just thinking to himself that he needs to get stronger. What'd you think of this chapter, Nick? I quite liked it. Uh, it was some very clever stuff in the combat. Uh, I liked that we got to see uh, how uh, Kaminari has gotten better at this whole thing. Uh, when he first showed up, he would just do his like, I zap everyone and then I get stupid and then we got to see uh, him against uh, Shiketsu do more precise stuff. And now we see that even just the just using his power just as a threat without actually because uh, he didn't actually he wasn't effective in terms of offense at any point during this fight because uh, Shishida shook off the paralysis and he didn't get really to zap anyone else. Uh, but uh, it seems like he's getting built up and that experience is really paying off with him. Yeah. No, also, I, also Shinso was impressive, I guess, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's fun. We got some cool stuff. I'm kind of glad this fight didn't, like, take, like, an hour and, uh, you know, like, a month and a half to kind of get through. Like, it's kind of quick and in and, and there and done. Uh, Especially because we got to stop in on, like, four more before this is over. So. Yeah, and since, again, we kind of mentioned before that, like, the principal cast is split up amongst them. It really doesn't feel like any are just going to be, like, glossed over. It's not like it's going to be like when they were doing the exams and it was just like, you know, we'll touch base on what like Jiro and Coda are doing, but we don't have time to really show the whole thing. I, that's probably not the best example. Cause I guess they did, but there were other fights that mm-hmm. they just, they were just like, Hey, these guys won <laughs> like at the very end or whatever, you know, <laughs> like they don't have time for necessarily all that here. But since like, you know, Todoroki's in one and Bakugo's in another and Deku's in another one, like, you're just like, Oh, okay. We're probably gonna get at least a little snippet of all of these. Right. There's not one that you can just easily skip past because it's consists of Sato and Koda and mm. Ojiro and Sarah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. It's like, which are the four least important people in the class? Yeah. I like the right. I think this good stuff. Yeah. All right. From there, we're going to move on to Food Wars, Shokugeki no Soma, Chapter 278, Rustling in the Night. Nick, do you remember your bold proclamation at the end of last week? I do re- <laughs> I do recall um, saying, like, she's not going to get kidnapped. Erin is not going to get kidnapped, and that and, person does not and, kidnap her. <laughs> and I was correct about that last part <laughs> half and half correct she was not kidnapped at the end of the last chapter like it was kind of into she gets kidnapped immediately after that. <laughs> i think that at this point i have to just basically say it's like okay food wars is at its best when it just does stupid ridiculous stuff 
And honestly, if you just specifically like look at it in terms of like writing and defying expectations and stuff, it's honestly not all that good uh, because it goes into some literally like they kept on hammering. I was like, oh, this guy is the villain. And I kept on just being like, well, that means he's not the villain then. Like I kept on anticipating a swerve. And at the end of this one, spoilers. Oh, I guess he was. OK. <laughs> I, I think that the longer that went on, the longer, the more I was thinking like, OK, maybe he is. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I'm glad that we haven't put any piece of bets on on Food Wars because I would have definitely <laughs> lost by now. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> the guy who randomly ambushed Arian at the end of the last chapter and was hidden in shadow and had super glowy, uh, creepy looking eyes. Um, he's just some random fanboy of Arian's wanting her autograph. Um, the most random of fanboys. Like, there's no other detail it's not like i was like oh is this a character we've met before or something like that it's like no it's not like it's just a dude <laughs> so you couldn't it couldn't be like you like oh hey it's like fucking i don't know why it would be but it's like dojima was the person there and he's just like Aaron, i have something to tell you i heard a funny i look at this great meme i found or something like that like it's just like just a random dude was the fucking cliffhanger to last week can you imagine like it's basically like in a horror movie where you know you're the, you get you know the music stings going up someone's creeping through a, a pretty dark room they're looking in a closet and don't see anything in the closet and they're like and then their best friend comes over like hey what are you doing Get <laughs> <laughs> uh it, that's basically what happened here yeah. <laughs> um Time passes. The first day of the test ends uh, with um, Suzuki um, just like leaving without explaining himself to Soma after saying that super ominous statement in the last chapter. And then we just cut over to Hisako, who uh, is on the phone with Irina. And uh, she's like, oh, thank you for blessing me with a phone call. God. And Irina, Irina says, and I quote, Hee hee, you can be so dramatic sometimes, Isako. Okay. They're still not they're still not in that like comfortable with being friends part of their relationship, I guess. Oh well. Um so they basically talk about their day. Uh Hisako says, like, oh yeah, you know, th- th- things are really busy. We're working at the Mountain Courses Rock Festival, but I'll pass. Don't worry about it. Oh, hey, I heard that instructor Suzuki visited Proctor the Beach Course. And Aaron is like, uh, yeah. And Hisako says, Curse that insolent philanderer. <laughs> okay. That's okay. That's it's how she talks, obviously. I think that we're like, I don't know why it took us this long to notice this like speech pattern or if it's just been something that's developed recently. It's like when we when uh, we learn like, oh, apparently Alice talks like a valley girl. But this is so much further along than that in the story. So it's even weirder. Uh, so Hisako doesn't like uh, anyone hitting on her boss, I guess. Um, and anyway, after they're done talking, Arian is, th- is thinking to herself, like, he's not really that bad. He did give me these flowers. But then she remembers what Yoshida said. Maybe you like him. And she's like, no, 
No, I'm a fucking dean of a fucking school. I don't have time for boys. I'm a big toughie. Uh, we cut over to um, some other people. Basically the usual, like, Soma's friends group. I don't want to say Polaris Storm because Akumi's there and she's not part of Polaris, but she always hangs out with them anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's talking about, I was like, oh, God, it was so exhausting. And so it was like, oh, was your place that that hard? It's like, well, not that. It's that guys kept on hitting on me. It's like, I guess that would get exhausting after a while. Good point. Especially if it happens all day. Yeah. Hey, will you, will you take my phone number? Hey, you're hot. Can we use that? I'm working. Go away. Uh, anywho, so um, they're still working on the dilapidated house. Uh, Soma's group is. Um, Yoshino hears Ikumi say, it's like, there's no point in being popular with guys when none of them is the one you like. And she's like, oh, you like a boy? This is my character now. I only think of I only think of gossip and boys. I mean, I guess they're, you know, oh, it's good to have, I guess, before. one of them. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Soma thinks again about the weird shit that Suzuki said about Arina uh, and then he's like oh well I'm gonna go take a walk wanders around they have a fucking balcony at this place and Arina's hanging out around the balcony looking at the stars Uh, and so we're like yeah of course you didn't randomly go away and then he like starts to go outside and there's this weird little moment where uh, he sees her like framed by the moonlight and he's just kind of stunned for a second because this is the big shipping scene chris it, it's really weird to get one of these actually just like hit on the head it's like yeah okay we're gonna ship tease these two i mean it's always been pretty well established that this was like a ship tease from basically the beginning we've gotten only more and more clues to kind of cement that like we've seen a large emphasis placed recently on the idea of like Oh, a chef's truly at their best when they have someone they want to cook for as opposed to just, like, a goal to cook or whatever. Like, th- that's sort of been something they've hang on. It is, I imagine is going to be a big part of this arc if it is sort of like, oh, uh, Asahi isn't Soma's brother from the same mother sort of thing. So there's that aspect. Although they kind of took that away by being like, he's not even a half-brother anymore. He's just his disciple or whatever. Uh, so it makes sense that they're kind of, like, nailing in on this and, like, establishing like oh wait soma probably maybe not now but he definitely does have feelings for that go beyond like i'm gonna beat you in a cooking contest i guess um it's i don't know i I think it's just kind of weird because we're so deep into this series now and only now are we getting something so overt as this scene because this is a very stereotypical kind of scene you know the two the two love interests meeting uh, at night on a balcony and just kind of having this weird conversation where they're framed in such a way that you don't normally see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after that little moment of just kind of like awkwardly staring at her, she notices him and then they just kind of start talking normally, basically uh, about random stuff. And although Soma does mention is <laughs> like, Hey, you know, you actually, you know, look kind of, happy right now you should laugh more often you're prettier when you do and she's like (laughs) because Zarina gets very awkward when any guy even half flirts with her 
Um, but he so just basically says, well, you know, I'm just, you know, so used to seeing you looking really scowly and angry. So you look a lot better when you're happy. Um, but uh, they, you know, talk about stuff like, oh, yeah, whatever. We, we need to cook and get better at cooking. And uh, then when I'm done with that, I'm going to get back to challenging you. And Aaron is like, I will crush you like I always do. <laughs> like, oh, and unnerving. They are pretty friendly with each other, though. And at the end of it, Soma you know, leaves and is like, hey, you know, let's just let's just, you know, keep giving it our best. And then then they part ways. Uh, Soma leaves off the balcony. Aaron is there and she's still and thinks, all right, I guess I better go to bed. And all of a sudden, a hooded figure comes out <laughs> He jumps like vertical leaps, apparently, up onto this balcony <laughs> and uh, grabs her. And then when she she's knocked out and wakes up tied to a chair and uh, Suzuki, no, Asahi <laughs> Saiba is there along with. OK, so... the first of the full bringers. <laughs> I don't know if you got that vibe from this, but the moment uh, I, I saw this panel, I was like, this is the full bringer. <laughs> Yeah, there's the there's the bartender guy who had the clock thing. Um, Just a bunch of random ass characters who I feel like I give absolutely no fucks about at this point. Let's see. There's a girl Nazi. There is a with a fucking chainsaw. Uh, There is a bartender. Mm -hmm. There is. um, Honestly, he looks like he could be the main character of like a samurai kind of series. You know, the guy I'm with the glasses to... back. On like, on Anji Mito, I think is the name of the guy from uh, Guilty Gear. Or uh, he's also a little bit like a, a Jin from uh, Samurai Shampoo. Yeah. Uh, and then there is Senku wearing a no mask, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um. And yeah, he. <laughs> I saw he says, good morning, Chris. <laughs> good morning, princess. It's welcome to my castle. Here I, Asahi Saiba, rule. He kept on talking about, like, wanting her to be his princess and stuff. Um, I guess that makes him the dragon then, if he actually kidnapped her. <laughs> I mean, the dude full on leapt up to a balcony i don't know if he, he must have like leapt out of a tree because we see some trees in the background but he like full-on just fucking just leapt up there grabbed her with the hand i don't know if he had like a chloroform or something to knock her out or if he just grabbed his hand over her face and took her i don't know this it might not have been her who grabbed her maybe the glasses guy grabbed her it looks like it's him but i mean it could be the guy with the glasses i, I assume it's him he's the only i don't know uh, it doesn't that that part's relatively insignificant it's just the fact that it's like here's my villain group and it's it's like this collection of characters that are just like here are designs i wanted to use before the series like there's there's very little cohesion necessarily in the yeah. design so i'm like i guess these are just characters we'll get introduced to at some point uh, it's just it's I wasn't expecting in the middle of the beach arc to be like, and now the real six funeral reads. It's it's very weird. 
when you consider that uh, Asahi's whole thing up to this point is like, she shall be mine, I shall seduce her, and the princess will be mine, you know, doing all these things, like picking her up and courting her and all this stuff, and then just be like, and <laughs> come here. <laughs> like, I guess that the explanation is going to be something along the lines of he was waiting for this point when they're going to be away from Totsuki Institute and they're going to be more difficult to find or she would have been less protected. Uh, but still, um, it's it's just a really weird and sudden t- turn for them to do that. And also, if you're going to kidnap someone, why would you tell one of the closest people to them, they're going away for a while <laughs> before you do it? I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I can't give a reason for laws. This has been a very strange arc for this series, and uh, I'll just say that I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. All right. And uh, speaking of going places, let's go to Eden Zero, where, well, this happened. (laughs) So, we're in uh, Eden Zero. This is Chapter 11, Machina Maker. And uh, we get our, our, you know, co- big color spread with a, you know, reference to Griffin from Rave Master. Uh, the bunny girl from a couple chapters ago makes it. So we uh, recap, like, you know, they're trying to escape the planet. Uh, they're being chased by the police. They can't get past this wall. And Weiss shows up, says, let me have your ship and I'll get into space. And that's where we kind of pick up as that conversation continues. And of course, Rebecca's like, no, I'm not giving you the ship. Like, what are you going to do? And he's like. Just give it to me, because we're going to be fucked anyway. And he's like, I mean, at least I have an ID, so I can get myself out of that situation. And then Shiki's just like, take the ship. (laughs) And Rebecca's like, it's not yours to give. He's like, take it. (laughs) So he gets on it, and as he gets on, we see different little sigils appearing up and down his arms, similar to the ether gear that Shiki uses. And he says, I'm the captain of this ship now. And everyone notices. Whoever the hell adapted this script. (laughs) You just know that they were like, I'm the captain now. (laughs) Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. Uh, So he he gets, it appears all over his arm. And then there's this big thing like chemical symbols are appearing and all sorts of shit. He's upgrading the the OS. Yeah, he's like, it's really, there's like seven different like dimensions of screens appearing around him as the ship itself is literally reworked around him. And then he's like, not just reworked, like parts of it are coming undone and being put back together on the exterior of it. Yeah, it's almost like it's being like transformed, like a transformer. But he's he's doing it all entirely from this console, just with his the sigils upon his arm, and he rebuilds the ship instantaneously. Ether jets are online, and new fixed up ship is able to bypass that wall and uh, get them through. And they're like, "Wow, that's super incredible." What is that? And he says, oh, well, this is the Aether Gear for rebuilding machines, the Machina Maker. And they explain, like, yeah, that's also how he fixed Happy in the future, because he was able to just fix a machine. Even one that was broken and dead, he just repaired it. Well, Happy was originally a cat, and then he rebuilt him as a machine, I believe. I might be he, could, he could rebuild him. He had the technology. Yeah. And then he does the same thing to Pino. He's like, yeah, and uh, I also fixed your leg right now. Ba-doop! And uh, I do like this because Shiki's like, Machina Maker, you give my Ether Gear a cool name too. He's like, he already has a name. All right, fine. It's a uh, Thwomp Boy. <laughs> and, and he's, he's like, like, that's great. Yeah! <laughs> Thwomp Boy. 
So they get out of the atmosphere of the planet. They're like, we did it. We're in space. And they get a call. And it's it's the real Professor Wise, the current Professor Wise, the Professor Wise that will get explained in literally a couple of moments here. And they're like, oh, God, I finally got through. Are you guys okay? You know, like, we've been trying to call you. Didn't you guys watch the news? You can't go to Norma. It's, it's on a do not travel list. And they're like, we don't get it. Why is it? Like, are you talking to us in the future? He's like, no, this isn't the future. It's the present. You guys made it back to your own time and you didn't understand. Like, Norma is only in the past because that's how it exists. That's the reality of Norma now. Because it had its time eaten by a space monster called a chronophage that devours planets' time. And this is one of my favorite things. Nick, you know how much I love time travel stories. <laughs> as nebulous as the time is defined, the better. So there is a space dragon <laughs> that eats time from planets. Uh, and they note that, yeah, it, it ate uh, Norma's time, 50 years of it. So the 50 years ago Norma's past is its present. It, it simply is what it is. That's how it exists now. So that isn't Professor Weiss from the planet, you know, from the past, this is Professor Wise that exists currently. And there's sort of a long explanation, like Professor Wise, the current one. I, I guess we call them Professor Wise and Professor Wise X as the, I guess, the one that's in the future. I don't know, because he's the one who I figure is going to be less significant to the story overall. Professor Wise from. You could, go, you could also call them Wise and Professor Wise. Because Young right. Weiss is not a professor. That is true. So Professor Weiss explains, like, yeah, m like, me and most Normans, we left. We got out of it. I went into adventuring with my fucking bunny lady over here. The and they're like, isn't that the girl from the bar? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know, uh, Pino's like, are you my master? And he's like, no, I only fixed your body, but, you know, your memory's probably still damaged. Uh, your master, you said, was the great demon king which is Shiki's grandpa, as we recall from the first chapter. Uh, and then he, he like, moves out of the phone. I guess it has holographic technology that he could take advantage. He's like, who's that stud muffin over there? <laughs> <laughs> and he explains, like, okay, yeah, that's Weiss, and it doesn't matter. He's not a time paradox. You're not fucking anything up with this. He's simply another one who exists, and there's no guarantee he'll ever become old like me. There's no, like, fated to be because I'm here that you had to follow this path or anything like that. This is simply another professor or another Weiss that exists now. And it's all a factor because you were the one whose time was eaten by the Chronophage and I'm here. We're both accurate. Like, none of us are, you know, anomalies or anything like that. So he's like, good luck. <laughs> and that's kind of it because then their signal gets jammed by an enormous spaceship with a dragon face brandishing a pirate flag and they're like space pirates and they're pulled onto the ship and who else should be there mocking how they finally found Shiki but Schmerza Scarlet herself <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually quite quite like this chapter um, I thought that uh, they did a that here did a very good job of like saying like hey I know that you're thinking about all the time time paradox stuff, uh, all of the things that go along with uh, predestination and uh, all that, because, you know, we see an old Weiss here. Well, think of it this way. There's an isolated incident where people in this area are out of time with the rest of the universe. And so 
the planet from this time period had a wise when the when the other wise had already left the planet. There could very well be other doubles of people who were on this planet that ended up leaving before the time on the planet got devoured. Uh, and so, hey, we know I know that there's a young wise and an old wise. Here's why. Also, get used to weird time stuff like this happening because there are giant dragons that eat time. So just get used to it. Yeah, that's just the reality of what we're living in at this point. So I, I quite like this explanation. Uh, I feel I. It's actually one of the less bullshitty explanations for stuff for time travel that I've heard uh, in all of the uh, various different stuff that I've consumed as media. So. Mm. Yeah. No. I mean, I definitely dig it. Uh, I think it's. I. I, I I'm fine with a series that's like, hey, we're going to put time travel in as long as they're up front with how time travel works. It's kind of why I like Lost. Lost was confusing, but they made it very clear. They're like, wait a minute. If I'm here, doesn't this mean that that happens? And like, there's one character who's just like, whatever happens, happens. That's it. You could try to think of paradox shit, but it doesn't matter. If we're here in the past and we show up in this picture, then we were always here. That's just reality now. And here's the same thing where they're just like, there is no time paradox. There's nothing weird. There's just two Weisses. There's nothing fucked up about it. There's just this one, and he has an entire independent life for him to live now. Uh, I do agree that to, it does feel like a little bit of space actologia when they're like, the evil space monster chrono fades. <laughs> like, I feel like that has to play a huge influence in all this, but I'm digging it. It's fine. Uh, the the only part I'm not crazy on is the ending, if only because I'm just like fuck. Oh great! Right. Was, she, she was coming. <laughs> I was kind of enjoying the series when like there were characters in it that weren't just all carbon copies of characters from from fairy tale. But now I'm like fuck. We're just outright getting Urza in this fucking story. There are also a bunch of uh, smaller things in this chapter that I really like. I like the interactions that Weiss has with uh, Shiki. Uh, I'm actually st- really starting to like Shiki as this, you know, just very like just you know, do it, uh, mm-hmm. idiot. Um, and also, I really like Weiss's ability. Uh, it reminds me of um, Upgrade from Ben Ten. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> mean, it's, I, I, it's, it's, it's a cool power, though. You know, it's like I take technology and I immediately make it better so that I can use it. So it's very flexible. I do somewhat worry about the applications of it because it's it's another sort of very nebulously defined power which was always kind of one of the worst parts of previous hero series where it's just like i could equip armor and it's like sometimes i equip an armor that makes me jump higher sometimes i equip an armor that can shoot nukes out of my breasts every five seconds and you're just like why wouldn't you use the other one all the time so like it is one of those things where you got i guess you have to stress like even no matter what his upgrades are there is still some limitations we even see that in this chapter where he he kind of it's like ah you know the horizontal stability isn't great but you know Mm -hmm. still you know working with what i got it's a bit better now right so be interested with that. Hmm. So, okay. And uh, next week we're going to have some jump starts. Uh, we're actually getting two starting in the same week. <laughs> Fucking, I love these jump starts. Yeah, uh, one of them where the guy, where for some reason there is a teenager who looks exactly like the statue of David. <laughs> You're, you're, we're just burying the fact that, like, that's by far the more interesting one. The other one's like, I'm a guy who's from Japan who talks about how I'm from Japan. I'm like, whatever. I want the story where they're like a high school student who, for some reason, looks like Michelangelo's statue of David. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> who came up with this? 
This series, like this, this premise, either runs for ten chapters or ten thousand because it's such a rich idea. <laughs> like I feel like you've run through it in the first chapter when someone's like, "You look like the Statue of David." He's like, "I know." Credits. <laughs> okay. But in the meantime, uh, there is nothing uh, stopping Chris from having two back-to-back series, so why don't you take us through We Never Learn? All right. Oh, what a great chapter, We Never Learn as well. Right when I predict, like, oh, I guess we're continuing on with this Uruka storyline. Nope. <laughs> don't worry, Nick. We get an equally as heart-wrenching tale this time uh... around. So... Uh, our chapter starts off as Fumino is dropping Yuega off at home, sort of thanking him for playing her study there. And he's like, oh, hey, I got a gift for you. Uh, and he hands her a gift off the table. And he's like, it's your birthday, right? And, you know, I, I owe you for helping out with my sister. And she's like, uh, oh, well, you know, tomorrow's actually my birthday. And she's like, ah, I'm so sorry. But she's like, you know, it's kind of nice because I've you know, never gotten a birthday present from a boy before. And he's like, ah, you know, it's not fancy or anything don't worry about it. she's like i'm touched really thank you and like she echoes that again honestly i'm touched whatever it is as she's back at her house and she opens it and it's a very frilly bra and she's like i don't know what to think about this what was special undies to my exam is that what this is no i mean why would he do that like i mean he must have put a lot of thought, like, she's just trying to, like, she's trying to rationalize, she's like, I guess he put a lot of thought into this, or something. I don't know what this fucking means. <laughs> so, See, so many situations we never learn could be avoided if, for example, Fumino picked up at the phone and said, Hey, Yuiga, did you mean to give me a bra? Well, I, I can understand it from this angle. Fumino is deeply kind of not speaking to the fact that she has feelings for Uega at this point. We realize at this point she's grown up. So she's kind of subtly trying to avoid that. But she's also a nervous teenager who's just like, oh, maybe he was being forward. Why would he like the confusion to it? It's a much more explainable situation if at one point she's just like, yeah, I'm wearing the gift you gave me now. He's like, you can't wear a pen. What the fuck are you talking about? Or something like that. That doesn't happen. But we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Because we go back to Uega's house where he's, you know, he's studying his two little siblings are all over them. And we see a sister talking to their mother. And she's like, hey, did you get that? item i requested and she's like yeah it's in that bag on the table and she's like yeah but i opened it up and there was just a left-handed ballpoint pen in it and we're like oh accidentally you wake up mixed up the gifts and gave her the bra that was meant for her sister so cut to the next day Rino's walking around she's wearing the bra and she's like i mean it's not the right size i mean it's slightly off but and then they note that it's stuffed with four bra pads which I assume, I don't know much about the way bra padding works, but I assume bra pads, if you're wearing four of them, that's a huge difference. That's like almost rolling up a sock and stuffing it in instead, and she's just like, I mean, it's only slightly off. Yuega uh, shows up, he's like, hey, how, does, how did your gift, how did it feel? So it's that very careful way of playing around it, because I guess you could say, yeah, how does a left-handed pen feel or whatever? And she's just like... Oh, you know, I I appreciate the the gesture doesn't uh you know really fit or anything like that. She's like you know breaks Uega's heart because he tried so hard to to get that pen for, and he's like oh, but I'm glad you like the gift. You know, I never really bought a girl a gift before, and uh, she notes like wow, it's a pretty bold choice for a first timer. 
then we get the big study group that's happening between all the girls and there's a moment when they're just like oh happy birthday you like these gifts like yeah and they're like oh did naruki give you a present she's like yes it so happens the boy you're in love with gave me a brassiere that i'm wearing right now it's like i could never say that (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) i do love this moment when they're like all right well i'll ask naruki what'd you give her he's like oh i got her (laughs) i got her (laughs) She keeps fucking punching him. He's like, why does she want to say what I gave her? I gave her... She's like mandible clawing him. Like, no! (laughs) Then finally, they they time out. They go outside, and she's just like, you know, hey, you know, tell me the truth. What's going on? Why why are you like this? Did you not like it? She's like, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that it's a little weird. I mean, it's not like we're that close or anything. And this is like the heartbreaking moment of the chapter, because Uwego looks fucking crushed and i love his internal thought he's like for real we're not close enough for me to buy her a pen <laughs> and uh he's like you know i'm you know i'm sorry if i made you uncomfortable she's like no no i mean it's i don't mean to say that i just you know i didn't mind you know the brassiere you gave me i didn't mind it and <laughs> i love this moment when you wake up like what what you mean the present to you, huh? And then there's they, they both stomp in and they're like, Thank you for the ballpoint pen you gave me. Yes, you're very welcome. It was a great birthday gift. Thank you. And that conversation there, finally realizing the absurdity. It was a pen that you gave me. Thank you for that pen you got. It's maybe one of my favorite moments that we never learned ever. It's just them storming back in and be like, Thank you very much for that pen you gave me. Yes, yes that, that, very normal, that was a very normal present that I gave you. Yes, but I appreciate it very much. It was very thoughtful. And also not a bra. <laughs> uh, so he actually gives her the pen later on and they, you know, explain the whole situation. Like, ah, you know, it's kind of weird. You know, I'm sorry. I'm actually wearing it now. So is it, you know, should I actually give it back to her? And he's like, uh, you know, if you're willing to keep it, I don't think so. And he has this moment where he imagines her in the bra. And she's like, yeah, they're not as big as you're thinking. Which is just like, yeah, you kind of read the situation pretty well there. Uh and she's like, it still feels pretty sad that I'm, you know, I'm less endowed than your sister who's still in junior high. But, you know, never mind that. Yeah. Boobs aren't all, or boys aren't all into big boobs, right? And like, you wake he's like, what's the answer to this question? He's like, I like big boobs. And she's like, I knew it, you boobophile. And he's like, I like small boobs. She's like, well, aren't you enlightened? <laughs> and he's like, so he thinks he came up with the answer. He's like, I mean... I don't think it's possible to generalize. I think that if I fall in love with someone, that it really doesn't matter to me. And she's like, Narayuki, yeah, sorry for putting you on the spot with that question. He's like, oh, I still fucked it up. <laughs> this is a stupid chapter with a lot of stupid moments. It's, it's again, one of those, like, we never learn chapters that only exists on the comedy verse. But it still makes me laugh because of the absurdity of some of the situations. And I legitimately, like, laughed out loud the first time I read them, like, walk back into the room, like, thank you for that ballpoint pen you got me after, like, three straight pages of being, like, him pun- her punching him every time he tries to say something. Oh, it was a pen. Can you guys, like, stop making noise in the library? <laughs> there were some funny moments in it, but I, God, I mean... I still feel bad that I still don't like that so much of Fumino's character is just like, she has a flat chest. It's like, come on. There is more to her. You have established that there is more to her than just boob envy. And you don't have to make it a constant thing with her. Uh, also, I think that it would have been hilarious if at the end, you know, if she poses that question. Yui is like, eh, I'm an ass man. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's like, I like titties. <laughs> They're like, huh? All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, so that's uh, that chapter. Um, let's just move on. Why don't we? Dr. Stone! Z equals 73. <clears throat> so uh, last time, Chrome got away from Yo and mm. uh, the Sukasa Empire by throwing up pickled plums, I think it was, uh, in order to make it look like he was puking up blood. Uh, and uh, we really just keep things moving in this chapter with uh, Z equals 73 top secret mission. Uh, we basically get like two pages dedicated to like, okay, yeah, Chrome is back with us. And Kaseki going, and my pressure steam gorilla won't be used in a suicide attack. I'm going to drive it around everywhere. Yay! <laughs> Huzzah! Uh, and Seiko's like, yeah, and uh, our tank's going to become a really useful commodity once we get to the final battlefield. Everyone's like, the final battlefield? Oh, yeah. Because the next step, basically, is they're just going for the for the miracle cave. They're going to they're gonna take it so that they can make the revival fluid and make gunpowder. Um, and they're basically planning on getting into battle very soon at, uh, after this point. Of course, uh, Suika brings up that there's like 100 people in the Sugasa Empire, so they're going to be horribly outnumbered. But Seika says, yeah, well, that's why our mentalist is at work as we speak. And sure enough, uh, they're using the cell phone. Uh, in order to uh, have Gen, you know, do his impression of Lillian Weinberg. Um, was it Nico? I think might have been her name. Nikos? I forget. I don't remember. The big Lillian fan uh, has gathered a number of people there to hear it. I think that we see about a half dozen people all together gathered around the cell phone uh, with uh, her and Yuzuriha and Taiju included. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, they... And she's giving praise quietly to Gen for his impression having improved because he's throwing in a little bit of a of a southern drawl to make it more authentic sounding. And uh, I was like, "Oh my god, this is great! Yeah, the Americas, yeah. Oh, but we should have to keep it a secret, okay? Yeah, yeah." Uh, also, we get a very creepy image of Gen being like, "Until then, y'all go along with Senku's strategy," and it's. So- it's just the placement of his fingers. I mean, Boichi still draws this series. He'll get his fan service in one way or the other. It's well, the part that's creepy about it to me is that it's and this is deliberate. It's drawn in such a way that it's basically like he's taking the mask off. Uh, but also the placement of the fingers in the mouth. It's like he's puppeting it. It's. It's just very deliberately creepy imagery for this heroic character. And I know oh, that I totally point. read it as him mouth fucking her <laughs> like finger fucking the mouth. I was like, yeah, you know, but we just you can do that if you draw. want. But, you know, in this in this one shot, you know, the imagined face of Lillian very much looks like a mask that he's just taken off. And it's it's that's just a creepy visual. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, things have gone well. Uh, Taiju and Yuzuriha and the girl whose name I forget uh they're seemingly gathering more people uh i think yeah i think that they bring another group in because there's another person there uh the next time we see it but uh he has heard the song ukyo has after stooping around nearby and his super hearing picked it up and they're like oh no his ears uh but 
even though they hear over the cell phone that uh, Ukyo has arrived, so there's like, it's like, you're like, well, hey, we're here already. We have to just keep on going and hope for the best. Uh, and so it's like, all right, here it is. My mimicry versus Ukyo's super hearing. Let's do it. Uh, and he goes like, this is Lillian Weinberg. You hear? Who am I talking to now? And Ukyo's like, oh, wow, it's Lillian. Oh, wow. That is, you almost had me fooled. However, however, after belting out a song like that, your voice should have should have a nearly an unper- imperceptible tremor to it. You didn't manage to mimic that again, and the, and Gen and Sick were like, "Oh no! Oh, the, who the hell could have possibly noticed that?" And then Gen's like, "Wait a minute, Senku, he just replied to us in English. Why did he do that?" Uh, and. They re- they realize like you know he's been doing a lot of weird stuff honestly ever since he discovered us near the grave you know he didn't alert Tsukasa and his allies to what they were doing he only came after us alone so what's what's going on with this and so Senku you know goes for a gamble and you know continuing with the using the cover that oh I'm you know, a translator they just basically hold a conversation in English while everyone uh, on Taiju Newsery has end is listening in. And he's like, so the person who slipped the battery to Chrome, that was actually you, wasn't it? And Yuki's like, yeah, you catch on quick, don't you? Uh, and he says, no, I'm not going to say, like, I'm your ally or anything. Uh, I'm still investigating, you could say, about what sort of person you really are. So hear me out. I saw everything. Your completely insane top secret mission. And this calls back to actually a detail that I kind of glossed over uh, before at the very beginning because Chrome was like, oh, yeah, you know, Taiju Yuzuri has slipped me that battery so that I can get away. And Senku just said, like, well, Taiju wouldn't know to do that. <laughs> He's an idiot. And also Yuzuriha couldn't have done it because she's busy with a top secret mission that I've assigned her. And so like, what are you talking about? Well, we find out here uh, as we see that earlier on, Ukiya was basically following after Yuzuriha, and she was, you know, took a bunch of supplies and a big jostly bag full of stone fragments. And basically, every time that she goes away, pretending that she's going to spend a whole bunch of time uh, by herself sewing clothing, she uses her super special crafts, crafts uh, abilities to make the clothes in an instant, uh, put them in a pile, and then goes off with this pile of stone fragments, goes into a secret cave, and starts jigsawing them back together. Because, according to a theory that Senku has, you know, the statue's surfaces are undergoing weathering and can't transform back into living cells, hence the thin stone shell when we broke out. Meaning the statues that Tsukasa went and smashed up, if you can reassemble them before the inner surfaces start eroding... Maybe, just maybe, and yeah, basically all the people that Tsukasa has already killed this way, they're trying to save them as well and save literally all of humanity. Well, <laughs> so it's, I mean, this is maybe one of my favorite moments of the entirety of Dr. Stone thus far. It's such a cool moment. It's such a great use for Yuzuria, who to mm-hmm. this point has always kind of just been like a side person who's there. But being like, oh, wait, she's really good with arts and crafts. So it kind of makes sense. She's the person who's, you know, 
I don't know, sewing or like a puzzle putting people back together is maybe the more apt scenario, but it makes sense that she'd be the one there. And obviously he can't trust Taiju with this because he knows Taiju can't fucking... Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't be him. But Yuzuriu doing it, and we, we've known she's she seems to be somebody with a very good heart. Like, this being the ultimate goal of what Senku is like, well, one of the goals that he has with like, keeping them in the, the Sukasa Empire is so that they can save everybody who Sukasa destroyed. It's such a great feeling when you're just like, fuck yeah, like these are the heroes of the story when you see them doing something like this. And you're like, wow, they're going through all this effort to make sure every person who's turned to stone still gets a chance to live. Like, it's a great moment. Uh, yeah, I was blown away when I saw this. Like, I could not believe it that they were literally going like, no, no, Senku is this like absolutist in terms of saving humanity. And it puts him in completely direct contrast with Tsukasa uh, and really plays that up. And with this kind of thing, you can see like why Ukiyo was so blown away that he wanted to kind of give these guys a chance. Uh, so it's it's nice to see that there's a wide range of these sorts of characters. So in uh, people are saying Nikki was the name of the character. So like Nikki was kind of turned to the side when she was like, "Oh, you were able to preserve this thing that I loved so much. You were able to give it to me." And I I seen what kind of people you are from that. Ukiyo is not like that. He wasn't swayed by like, "Oh, well, you know, the the rumors of America still being around anything like that." But instead, he kept seeing what they were doing, and that's what turned him over. So it wasn't just this one pronged attack of like Senku being like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna be able to give you guys coke and fucking music and shit like that." It's what he's doing on a deeper level beyond it of like, "We're gonna save humanity." And Ukiyo is just so flabbergasted by that that that's what's been meeting him to always being this this quasi double agent and everything. I, I love that sort of feeling. It's just really cool. Yeah. And also when you consider just like the amount of work you would have to do to put together a statue that's been shattered like that. Oh, God. Like, yeah. Jeez. So, yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to more. Yeah. No, I, I dug this this chapter a lot. Uh, this was a great little place to put Usuria and to give her something to really do. Mm -hmm. So absolutely dug it. Let's move on from there. Seven Deadly Sins. Yes, let's take a look at Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 281, The Fairy Kings. I don't know why it's pluralized there, but The Fairy King versus The Angel of Death. So last time, we saw the full transformation. What happens when King's fairy wings reach their full growth? And we see that he has become the strongest fairy king the world has ever seen, complete with a new big giant quaff of hair that acts as bangs that Nick does not care for one bit. Also, the back is too long. Mm, back is too long as well. Nick has a lot of complaints about King and his new hair. Uh, stay tuned for Nick's TED Talk on King's hair. <laughs> I don't like it. That's my TED Talk. Uh, it's been 40 minutes repeating that. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> Uh, I like the way this starts off, though, because we have a moment where Hawk's like, hey, who is that? And and uh, Elizabeth's like, yeah, that's magic. It's it's like the deepest, clear blue lake. And Diana has this moment where she's like, it's just not like his magic, but like everything about him, it's different. Are you really the king I know? And he turns he's like, don't worry, I'm still it's still me, which is kind of weird because she's like thump thump. And she's like, you read my mind. I tried to be like, I get the sentiment. 
It's a little creepy you just said that without revealing. You could read minds. Are you reading my mind right now? Oh God, I can't stop thinking about all the worst things I don't want you to know about. Oh, I pooped in the house last week. I just, I couldn't, I was drunk. I couldn't find the bathroom. Oh God. Diane, Diane, I know you pooped in the house last week. You're like 50 feet tall. Yeah. It's hard to hide that. I, I didn't think a mountain came into our house, pooped and left. <laughs> uh, so he's like, all right, man, let's, let's wrap this fight up once and for all. And uh, we get this cool panel where we see Mail, and he's he's all talking all over himself. Like, don't interfere. My sins can't be forgiven. I hate myself. Stay out of this. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, I hate you, Elizabeth. I must I must make us whole. And King's like, ah, a stream, a stream of curses keep flowing out of him. He's more of a talker than I thought. And everyone else is like, what are you talking about? I don't hear anything. So I guess King, with his, his new ability to sort of hear minds, is able to even hear male in his twisted state so there's a big bunch of combat and he throws his big spiraling blast of love and we see that uh it's uh it's ineffective because everyone's saved when they're trapped inside the eighth form of the spirit spear pollen garden and uh, everybody including even deray ray and oslo's bodies uh which is actually very important because at first i was like oh fuck did he fucking revive these characters at least one of them he has not Maybe the jury's still out on Ray Ray, but we get some pretty good confirmation later that Oslo actually is still dead. Uh, and uh, Diane's pretty sh- sh- like scared. She's like, no, what are you doing? If you trap us inside here, you won't be able to use your, your spear for anything else. Turns out that's not a limitation anymore, because uh, in this new power to point, <laughs> he can use every fucking spear. And he, he makes his big guardian form that's punching him. He does uh, his giant, like, army of blades move. He has everything kind of happening all at once. He can use them all concurrently. And uh, he has a moment where he's like, "Mail, I don't know you that well, but there are some things between us that run in parallels. I've also lost precious time, and I've lost precious friends along the way. And you can't get back those things you lost. That's where I'm kind of noting that we know from that sentiment there that Oslo should be dead. Maybe there's still room for Ray Ray, but probably not. Uh, but he knows. Well, he that- also has the. Uh, he also has Helpers. Helm. Helpers uh, on. Yeah, help little fragments on his uh, yeah. chain. Uh, he knows that I know you have somebody. I know you have somebody who cares about you with all of your heart. So you kind of had to live for that person. And Vale uh, is just screaming like, "Stay out of this!" And uh, he's he's completely outclassed by king in every single way king's not being hit he's dodging all of his blows he reveals the true form of his his first form of the spear which is sort of like a spear but instead of a blade it's almost as though it's kind of like the antenna blossoming out of like a a tropical flower it's a very cool visual and he says that's why i'm not gonna kill you and he thinks to himself am i doing the right thing oslo helbram and he says but if you're not satisfied then i'll take you on as many times as you want because I'm the fairy king Harlequin. It's like a lazy JoJo pose. Like he doesn't. He doesn't like put all. He doesn't put his all into it. He bends over a little bit for it to be unnatural, but he really needs to like get that extra ten degrees of of, of uh, bending yeah. in. I am the fairy king Harlequin, or some shit like that. Yeah, it doesn't get that in. Uh, and male starts to react violently, not like. He's shooting out a bunch of beams or anything like that, but like he's exploding. <laughs> and uh, we have a moment where we close in on Gauther and we, he's kind of trapped in, I believe it was the chastity power that was used on him. And it created Naja, who's sort of like 
covering him, like was on top of him and pushing him down. He's she's just like, no, you stole my innocence of my heart, and now we're gonna be the heavy shackles that keep your body bound for eternity. And she starts almost trying to like push him into this darkness that they're in, and he's just like, for eternity. I'm so happy! And he pops up, and he's like, I have no regrets whatsoever. Even if we could turn back time, I would still choose the path that led me to you. And he says, you're the only girl in my heart. You mean the world to me. I want to live my life always having these feelings for you. Which is a very sweet sentiment. To take that, you know, sinister, like, I'm going to turn your memories of this loved one against you. And he's just like, that's great! I get to always, like, be with you. This is awesome! (laughs) And, like, I never regret the decisions we made that brought us together. Even though it was surrounded with tragedy, I'm still happy for those memories. It's a very very smart sentiment for him to have and uh, it ends the illusion Naja hugs him and Gauther is revived and says hey will you grant me one last request uh, we cut back to to King and he's like yeah I know I said I wasn't going to kill him but I guess he's dying anyway at this point <laughs> there's no saving him at that point you know he, he took on four commandments he's used up all of his energy and he's just going to be eroded away by those uh, commandments at this point and we see Gauther leap into action and he thinks to himself male please grant me once again the chance to save you and he grabs onto male's head activates invasion and dives into his mind and that's the way we end the chapter some good stuff in this uh it definitely seems as though like we're at the point where seven deadly sins is almost over because they I mean, King has been built up to the point where it's like, how could anyone possibly beat this guy? At I mean, we have that with a lot of characters at this point. So, so I don't think that there's too much more escalation that we can really fit in for him. Um, it seems like his character has reached almost its natural conclusion for at least in terms of power level. Mm-hmm. But uh, some good stuff. And I like a lot of the uh, abilities he got to show off in the chapter. And I also like the idea that like, you know, as much as male has done and as far gone as he is, they're still going to actually try and save that part of him. That's still good. Oh yeah. I definitely dig it. I like it a lot. Um, super good. All right. Let's talk some about the promised Neverland. Okay. Nick, nothing happened this week. Next chapter. Not a, not a lot actually did happen in the chapter itself. But we do have some other things to talk about. Uh, people were pointing out to us, which we already went over last week, that The Promised Neverland is in its final arc. Uh, now this is the kickoff to it. And it seems as though, like, well, it got there kind of fast, but hey, series end when they end. And uh, I, it, The Promised Neverland is not, like, suffering in terms of popularity or anything like that. It so had I its think- first ever popularity poll. Yeah, I think that uh, basically all that's really happened is that um, they're just choosing to end it when they want to. So the popularity poll. <laughs> uh, when the, if you actually go on to Viz's website for the reader, it actually says like there are some surprises in this, and it's like there's not there, there's not multiple surprises. There's one surprise. Every well, person I feel like had the exact same reaction when they read this popularity poll result. <laughs> And if you want to know what it was, look on my Twitter. Uh, Who the fuck is Anna? (laughs) Every person who read this popularity poll, I guarantee, said something to that effect. Now, we should note that there was no, like, there's no uh, English-speaking popularity poll for this Mm -hmm. one. A lot of times, if you see the popularity poll pop up on the English version of Jump, then they'll then flip over the page and it's like, by the way, here are the popularity poll results for our English readers and there are slight differences almost always. We don't get that this time. This is just the Japanese popularity results 
And you never know how the Japanese fandom exactly is reacting to a particular character or not. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, there is no hashtag Ray in Japan. <laughs> so if, there were, if hashtag Ray were a real thing, he would have been numbers 1 through 20. Uh, but no, no hashtag Ray. Aww. Emma was number one. Norma was number two. Ray number three. Phil number four. You go through that. It's like, OK, all makes sense. Uh, you know, basically the four most important kids, really, when you think about it, even though Don and Gilda uh, have been around more than Phil. Phil was the one who was really built up at the beginning. It's like he's one of the most intelligent kids. And also he's off on having his own solo thing going on. What is happening? Mm. But then there's Hannah, who has clearly done only one thing of note in the entire series, which was they used her hair so during the fire escape. Was that the only thing? Fuck, man. Was I, I did not. Like, I sat here for a bit. I was like, who is this character? I feel like I have to know who she is. And that was the big thing. They're like, yeah, don't you remember? Anna and her luscious hair that they used to escape. I I don't pretend to know exactly what the hell was causing certain characters to be popular or not. Uh, like, I recognize almost every other character. Hang on. Let me look at the fucking tiny people in the back. I guess the cute girls are just popular in this manga, Chris, because, like, Connie's on here. I mean, I can understand Connie being on there because her death kicks everything off. I, and I can understand why, I like, why, like, I get why, Gil, like, Jillian is this high on the list because she has, well, she, like, she, she has, like, wielded machine guns. I, 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 think, I, I think it plays to her design. She has a very, like, loud design that fits to a thematic ah! kind of theme that you're like, yeah, she's, like, a really hyperactive, like covered in stickers like has that shibuya kind of feel to them like i get it and i don't remember it all though i can't like it would be like as though if it's like chris were at that spot or fat chops or something like that where you're just like who these kids have nothing i feel like they all just are seen in large swaths i do it's think very strange. it has to be like character design that is influenced a lot of this stuff because you look at some characters like freaking oliver seriously okay also, I think it is kind of funny that the bunny that Connie had is more popular than her. <laughs> I mean, the bunny was a more important character. Let's be real. I don't, it's, also, it's very strange who, because like most of the characters who are on this list, they make sense. Like we have the main kids. Phil's on there. Don's on there. Gilda's on there. You know, Hugo's on there. Like, sure. Okay. It makes sense. Lucas, uh, Luvis, you know, Isabella, Crone. Like, these are all characters who make a ton of sense. Minerva being on there. Sure. He was named. Sanju Mujica. There was like two demons with distinct designs who were kind of like quasi allies. Like, all that stuff makes sense. It's where like some characters show up that's more like baffling to me or things like that. Where like, again, like Connie being on there is sort of odd that she's so low, but I guess makes it in there. But like, I don't know. I'm just sort of stunned. Like Zach was such a great character. How is he not on this list? <laughs> why, why wasn't Pepe on here, Chris? <laughs> I don't. I how is Adam not on there? Is actually a little surprising to me. I thought Adam would show up on the list or something like Where's, that. Come on, note. We don't have any Nigel, but Oliver makes it. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, he has a hat. Come on, you got to include the World War One flying ace in your poll. <laughs> yeah. Also, I only just realized because I was so distracted by Anna that I didn't even realize that they're all making the two sign because it's the two year anniversary of Promise Everflame. <laughs> okay. Uh, getting into the chapter itself, uh, the most important thing that has happened is that there has been a year, uh, year and not year and a half, year and seven month time skip 
uh, I guess you're gonna have time skip because it was like a month after the Goldie Pond was uh, destroyed. Uh, we see like this demon village, and basically there's just like some rumors and discussion going by among a bunch of the demon inhabitants as we follow these two uh, small demons uh, that seem to basically be children as they talk about stuff like, oh man, you know that that Luvis plan, you. Know, What's going on with them? You know, you think that the meat from the Gracefield house is still on the run? Nah, they're probably dead. Just random stuff like that. We do clearly establish that the hideout is still up and running perfectly. Uh, everyone's okay. Uh, we see that some of the kids, of course, are getting a bit bigger. Uh, and everyone's still fine. They're actually, uh, their garden is flourishing, so they don't have to venture outside the shelter too often. Um, but they still haven't heard anything from the supporters in all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, we get like a flashback, uh, to, uh, a few months after they got back from Kavitadala and the, you know, Ray was, you know, instructing people like, okay, you know, get this book, this book, this book, and we're going to do all this. We're going to narrow our search to, uh, compare the scenery and temple shape that Emma saw against topography and culture and the golden water. Uh, and then they ventured outside some more. Um, but they, didn't they weren't really finding anything uh, uh there were no temples inside any of the places they were looking until this point now and where we get a point where it just says and emma's group is now and there are a bunch more demons walking through town and all of them have long skirts and cloaks that trail all the way to the ground no feet visible uh we see the same two small demons uh children looking kind of ones and one of them is carrying um, a body in a jar. It's got some meat. And he just out of nowhere just says, like, this meat is mass produced. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but they're like, I wonder what the top class meat is like from the best farms. Is it good? Is it really different? And the smaller of the two. I just look around, sees that one of the demons with the long cloak is flapped up, and there are human feet in shoes beneath it instead of the big clawed demon feet. And uh, he's like, hey, brother, I saw weird feet. And uh, the brother, the elder brother turns around and looks, and the group of demons that was walking by is gone. And uh, they have run out of the city through the gates and into the woods beyond. And they take their masks off, and of course, it's Emma's group. It's actually the exact same group that we saw going to investigate Kavididala, uh, plus donning, uh, it's, you know, Don Gilda, Emma Ray, and uh, Zach and Violet. Um, I get the impression that they're, this is probably like a regular group at this point. Uh-huh. If, you know, they, they've probably been the ones to always have gone out and try and find uh, the temples and stuff like that. And we also get the note that's like, oh, it was Don's fuck up. He's the one who couldn't help but f- flip the skirt around when he was walking. Do, 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 do. Um, they've got you know these special disguises and stuff that uh, Nigel and some some of the others uh, made uh, so that they could go into town in order to look around and stuff. And basically, they've got super special demon disguises now, so that they can infiltrate into places that they normally wouldn't be able to go. Um. So we get this, you know, very, very good look at, uh, you know, the older designs of these characters. These guys are, you know, teenagers now uh, after this month, amount of time has passed. Um, I like Emma's uh, braid thing on uh, the one side of her face, the the side that, you know, is missing the ear. So it's like, hey, I want to you know, have a little bit longer thing here so that my 
weird head hole is not showing. Might as well do something with that. Also, Ray looks bizarrely mature, and it's kind of throwing me a bit. <laughs> I imagine he's still the same old Ray. He, he's still hashtag Ray, but he's, he's like, I haven't needed to get older in maturity because I've always been mature. I was baby memories from then on, and I was exactly always a proper, fully grown adult. Now I just smolder more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Boom, panties dropped. Boom, panties dropped. <laughs> Are you even interested in girls or anything, Ray? No, I I'm just like having. I just I'm, like having. I just like having power over people. I'm very sexual, which isn't to say like I'm only sexual for people. I'm sexual for myself, <laughs> exclusively. Other people can't compare. Oh, hashtag Ray, you're so hashtag Ray. <laughs> Making out with a mirror. What's like, I, I hate Ray so much. I hate it so much. Oh, look at you over there looking all coy and sexy. Oh, oh. He like starts making out with his hand. Ray, are you like practicing making out? I was like, no, this is the real deal. Oh, yes, Ray. <laughs> oh, it's like, I hate Ray so much. How is he still alive? every time we go out looking for one of these temples and every time I hope that maybe the demons will run faster than Ray, but no. Um, yeah, everyone's there. Yay. Uh, we get a brief glimpse of like, Hey, look at all the people. They're older now. Yep. It's very pivotal. Everyone's, everyone's just a little bit older, a little bit wiser. Also, uh, we found the temple in Golden Water. Hooray! That's very important. So this 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 is a pretty significant chapter in terms of like, oh, we got this pretty big time skip, and it's somewhat interesting because it's like, it's not that long of a general time skip because it, it's it's only been I guess like maybe like a year and a couple months since the Goldie Pond because I think they kind of indicated it took a couple months to even just do that trip out to uh to where the eye was and everything like that and it's not as though the character designs have changed that much there was a moment at first when we first saw the chapter and we first see like the woman with like glasses in that room and i legitimately was like holy shit is that gilda now like she gets like insanely more mature going from 12 to 14 or however much it was like i thought that was and i was like oh no that's just another girl that i don't remember i'm like okay uh, I think it's kind of interesting. We got like somewhat upgrade character designs. The only one I actually notice anything with is when it comes to Emma. Like Emma just mm-hmm. looks a little bit older and her hair is a little bit bigger and things like that, which makes sense. I'm, I'm glad that she feels a little bit more distinct in this. <laughs> I'll be honest. The part that fucked me up the most is when she gets back and she's like, we didn't lose anybody. Anna, Nigel, names all these fucking characters, doesn't name Adam. He's in the background. She names, like, every fucking person in that goddamn bunker, and Adam doesn't get a mention. True. I mean, it's interesting. We're in this last arc, so we're kind of have to see how things go. This was sort of, like, a surprise, but I guess it makes sense. Like, maybe they just didn't think there was that much story to really tell here, especially if we're going to get that. 
I'll be I'll be frank. I thought we were legit about to get fucking like it's Team Seven and Team Eight teaming up together, and we're just like Don and Gilda and fucking Zach and what's her name did nothing. Why did we make a big deal about them joining the group? And it's like oh, okay, because we're saying like these years had as the year plus has gone by, these these guys have remained of a cohesive team. I thought it was legit going to be like they got to the eye. They're like, thanks for the help, Don and Gilda. Get back to the fucking shelter. <laughs> back in the closet with you. <laughs> Thanks for all the help. And don't come out. <laughs> Can I have a book to read this time? No, and just for that, you're taking your light source away, too. Oh, dear. And it's scary in there. Get in there. <laughs> you better hope it's scary. Ray, stop harassing the minor characters. <laughs> Never. I have to show them their place. <laughs> so, yeah. Um... I really didn't have a whole lot of thoughts about this chapter. Literally, I, I, I guess it might have just been like, seriously, Anna th- going the whole way through thinking about, come on, she's not even doing anything now. Uh, but really, I think it is just kind of like to get used to like, OK, you know, this is what they've been up to when time has passed. And that's really the only thing that you need to take away from it. Other than like they have a goal now and they're going to be booming towards that. Uh, and they did do a pretty smart thing, I think, in, put, in terms of putting the, the time skip here because they had a lot of searching to do because they had no idea where to start. They didn't have like a particular goal in mind. And that's a that's a pretty good way to say it's like, OK, they had to do a lot of busy work uh, and had, meet a lot of dead ends over this whole time. But you're going to see the parts of the story where the plot actually progresses. And that's where we're picking up now after that time has passed. Mm. So. All right. Um, with that said, uh, we don't have a One Piece chapter this week. So, Chris, let's finish things up with Black Clover. Oh, my God. We're only like an hour and 20 into this show or so. This is weird and uncomfortable. I'm going to have to really drag my ass in this this recap. Black Clover. Hey. hey. One. Yeah. Seven. Two. Okay. 172. Now, 172, rebirth. So last time, Fuego Leon woke up and his great fire erupted, and we saw the great fire spirit Salamander had joined alongside him. So uh, we have this moment where uh, uh, Leo is like, Whoa, I was positive you'd wake up. That's Salamander, the great spirit. And they noted that, I guess this is. Leo saying this, where he's like, from what Asta said, that was with one of the eyes of the Midnight Sun leaders, but it disappeared during the battle. So this confirms, I guess, this is the same salamander we saw with Fauna at that point, but it disappeared after Fauna kind of had everything happen, and instead, it now came to Fuego Leon, and is the great fire mage and everything like that. It, it should make sense. So uh, he says, you know, there's nothing strange about choosing him, and Fuego Leon is like, yes, that's a great help. There must mean that there's something I was meant to do. And uh, he screams out, Randall! <laughs> Since I just woke up, I may not be able to control the force of my flames. Endure them and don't die. Which is such a cool <laughs> line to shout out where you're just like, I don't think I can hold back, so don't you die, motherfucker. It seems like one of those things. That, it's one of those things that kind of lets you know, it's like, oh, I guess that he and Mario Leona actually are siblings, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Randall's like, hey, you know, even if you were chosen by a spirit, you're still just a human. So you're never going to be a match for... Blah! <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
No, Jay, like he's in the middle of his fucking douchey villain speech, and Salamander is just like, ain't nobody got time for this. Ah! <laughs> and he's like, holy shit, the fire is too intense. It's it's taking the air away. I can't even breathe. You blasted royal. And he, you know, clasps it in these paws of fire that we've seen the uh, various members of the uh, Crimson Lions use before. And he says, as the captain of the Crimson Lion Kings, I will not permit you to use my vice captain's body for any more tyranny. And he won. In, in a very quick effort, he defeated Randall and uh, sort of eliminated him as that, that threat to this. Everybody is very excited. They're like, wow, you're the best. You're too awesome. Uh, and Leo has this moment where he's like, yeah, that's my brother. And even though he's so cool, I'm going to surpass him one day. But then he's like, oh, hey, right. By the way, sis is the captain now because you've been in a coma for a while. And he's like, huh? Ah, yes, our sister. Well, that's technically how it should be in the first place, but... Silly me, I've made her do something out of character. I'm just like, no! You should always be the captain! I like you a lot more! (laughs) But, he notes that Salamander is telling him about the magic powers from beings that aren't human all over the capital, and that it's the battle that has just begun. And he thinks back to when he saw William. I guess that was... Who yeah. did it to him? We he had... saw him way back when he was first taking that commission. His arm was fucked up, so now we have that confirmation that he yeah. was just hanging out there with his mask off. Yeah. Looking looking like an idiot. So then we get kind of an odd little jump over. We're in the headquarters of the Golden Dawn, which makes sense. You know, this is William Banchins' guild, and he is, you know, essentially the body of his is now leashed. The odd thing, though, is he gathers all the remaining elves there. And he has them all change into the like guild uniform for the the golden the golden dawn, and they're all just like, "Huh, this is kind of like a weird fetish or something, right? Like this is kind of weird." He invited us all here to change clothes to look like this. Uh, and there's two people who are spying in on this. They're like, "Whoa, they, they, what's happening? He's too much for us." And we see the entire side of the castle ripped into oblivion and we see langris is there now transformed with the power of one of the elves and he says well everybody's here and uh, the female assistant there actually no this is i think what's his name is this um the wizard king's assistant wow maxi max something i don't know who this is it's a very effeminate face but part of me looks at it and i'm like is it supposed to be the wizard king's assistant because we know that that person got changed i don't remember anymore i don't know it's somebody and they're like hey uh it's likely because everyone was assembled here by your cousin patry uh and the elf inside of langris is latry <laughs> a very creative family <laughs> uh but we see latry saying ha i guess twisted people really do think alike i'm itching to kill human royals myself the Midnight Sun is gone. Let's show the humans the Golden Dawn. And uh, then we cut over to Fangrel. Fangrel? What's the fuck's Finral. his name? Finral. That's his name. It's been forever since we've seen him. Finral, who's who's thinking like, oh, big brother. He's, he's kind of mumbling. <laughs> Yami just shows up and kicks him straight out of fucking bed. Like, he's still injured and shit. <laughs> Yami's just like, stop sleeping, idiot. I need your help. Kingdom's in a bad place, and you can feel it, right? That power. And Finral thinks back to when he saw Langris during the the Magic Knights exam. He's like, "Ah, I know that power." So I'm gonna save you, Langris. Let's go. And that's the chapter. 
Uh, yep. Bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I this is I, some I, interesting I, I, stuff. I'm not gonna like you know. I'm not gonna say it's like oh the Black Clover whatever. I I did very much like the beginning of the chapter and then the rest of it just kind of. It's just set up for the confrontations that we have coming up. Uh, presumably, we're going to have some sort of direct confrontation of a rematch of sorts between Finral and Langris. Uh, but that's really it. Um, well, we've got the parts in place and we established a few more people that, uh, are possessed by elves. Uh, Langris is a good choice for that, uh, considering the stuff that we saw him do during the, uh, Royal Knights exam. Mm. But yeah. Okay. Well, I dig it. Um, there's parts of it that are pretty cool. Like I do kind of like the whole moment with Fuego Leon, just like screaming, like I can't hold back. So you better survive. And you know, Small moments here, getting this tease to something coming on, and even kind of the moment of, like, Latchery being like, ah, this, I, I think, I don't know if he's saying this Patchery is also twisted. I assume he was talking about the fact that the host body he took over was kind of, like, a sinister person as well. Uh, at least that's what I'm choosing to read that as, but, um, I don't know, parts of it I dug. I just, and I do love that moment when he just rips away the sidewall of the castle, like, it's such a cool yeah. moment. Uh I just, I do find it weird, though. Like, it, it feels like such, like, a weird fetishy thing. <laughs> like, even, like, Patrick's like, everybody, to the Golden Dawn, to wear our uniforms. Everyone's like, why does it matter? He's like, just fucking do it. <laughs> the impression that me. I've got is that they weren't changed, but that basically almost everyone in the Golden Dawn was was possessed by elves. And so yeah, they were wearing is. the Golden Dawn uniform which happens to bear a striking resemblance to the old Royals uniform. Maybe that is, maybe that is what it's supposed to be. I thought he maybe had them all over and changed them into it, but I, it would make sense that most of the characters in the guild ended up being that way. Mm -hmm. Cause we know that, you know, was one of the people who almost transformed, but he just came, overcame it. But we also know, uh, glasses do transformed. Um, most characters, I think who we know in our golden dawn did end up transforming. So it would make sense. Yeah, almost everyone. So, and considering that Vengeance was the captain of him, maybe he somehow saw that potential in them and deliberately gathered people to his guild who had the potential to be possessed uh, that way, so that they could have a centralized power for the inevitable invasion. That makes so. sense. It does seem to be, as I read it again, more and more what they're trying to say on that. So that's it. That is uh, Black Clover. That is our week of manga recap for this week. So let's name our favorites. Favorite chapter MVP. Uh, I'm going to give my favorite chapter to Seven Deadly Sins. Really fun chapter this week. Uh, I was really excited by how everything kind of played together. Uh, pretty fun, I think, overall. So I'm going to give it to Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, I'm going to give mine to... Uh, let me make sure on this. Uh, I'm giving mine to Dr. Stone. Okay. I thought it was a really big moment uh, to see the freaking... Yeah, we're just going to you know reassemble humanity. That's a huge thing and it was the most shocking uh moment in manga that we read for this week i can definitely see that uh in turn uh i will note my favorite character was Uzaria. i was super mm. excited to see her get this kind of cool moment and it was very satisfying and i'm giving mine to asahi because you know just kidding because he left up the building immediately going from i will seduce arena to i will kidnap arena <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, 
I think that I'm uh, going to give it to uh, Weiss in uh, in Zero, uh, because that way I can do two characters for the price of one. I can give to the younger version with his cool uh, power and to the older version for just laying everything out. It's like, OK, sure. Yeah, I'll buy that. Um, I accept this version of events in order to prevent your time travel element of your series from running into a, into paradoxes. So I'll, I'll, I'll dig it. Sure. All right, and with that said, we are done with Bikumaga Recap for this week. Thank you, everyone, who has joined us. Uh, we record the show normally on Thursdays around 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, or Eastern Daylight Time, whatever it is right now. Uh, but for updates, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, at WMR Podcast, at RoloT, at NickFTime, to find out when on Smashcast.tv slash RoloT and Twitch.tv slash RoloT we will be recording the show. You can also use that, of course, for updates to all of our archives, uh, where you can find our past episodes, weeklymugrecap.podbean.com, YouTube channel on iTunes as well. And uh, make sure that if you do check us out, that you subscribe, leave us a comment, leave us a rating, so that uh, we can, you know, beat those woodworkers. And I don't know. It seems more and more like a, an increasingly fleeting dream, Chris. Uh, was, uh, Not with that attitude, it sure is. Come on, guys. Someone's got to stop the woodworkers. Who else? You just going to let them run into your house? Take your children from their beds like they do? Allegedly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't have anything to confirm that. And I'm sure your children are safe. But if they ever should disappear, again, they're probably not. It's going to be safe. But just know the woodworkers are sinister enough to do it. That's really what I'm kind of getting at here. So... If you want to send feedback to us, <laughs> ask us questions for our Q&A episodes, and suggest manga for us to read, you can send that stuff via email to weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com. Also, be sure to check out our Discord server. It's a good place to discuss the uh, stuff that we are currently working on for the show, uh, to make suggestions for each manga for us to read. Uh, lots of different uh, channels in, in our uh, on our server, so check that out as well. And uh, special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Your support lets us create all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We just recorded a special sadistic September commentary of the first two episodes of season two of Iron Fist. Uh, because we, you know, that series is torture enough. Uh, and uh, finally, of course, special thanks to Steve Manor, target artist, and to Infamous Planet for the help you give us. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it. I actually want to, because I've forgotten to do this for a while. So I'm going to give uh, specifically uh, a couple shout outs because we, we've gotten a couple extra reviews on iTunes. So I want to give these. Uh, Up in Tree 888 says Chris is a comedic force. The other guys are good too, <laughs> which I enjoy that. So thank you, DJ Joe. Uh, not a bot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Says uh, WRD succeeds where most other manga podcasts fail. No hints of pretentiousness, animosity, or awkward, uninteresting discussions between strangers. Just two good friends who are as likely to come up with convoluted theories on most recent chapters as they are to go on wild tangents about wrestling or bizarre school memories. I mean, that is a very accurate assessment to the show. So we are very pretentious, though. I do have the hat, so. <laughs> uh, and Bulls and Lancer says you guys are super hilarious to listen to at work and sometimes I need to step away from my desk because I can't control my laughter I really enjoy it you guys do deep dives in each chapter keep up the good work thank you guys for the five star reviews if you guys ever want to leave a review on iTunes we will try to check those out make sure you guys get a shout out because it's greatly appreciated someone has to stop the woodworkers so this is the only way it's going to happen let me just see. Are we we in? Are, are we anywhere in the top hundred? Oh, we're 110 right now on iTunes, guys. 
But let me see how long it takes before I find a woodworking podcast that's above us. Sweet George, I don't think it makes sense. Beekeepers! The beekeepers are above oh. us too? There's like, no. th there's like three yarn podcasts above us. How much is happening in the world of yarn every week? <laughs> All right, guys. That's 73 modern woodworkers. God damn it. All right, guys. The battle continues. Dungeons and lesbians. That's going to do it. Bye. <laughs> I'm sure Dungeons and Legends is very good. Support their podcast. But the woodworkers! <laughs>